You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new series of Heroes and Howlers. It's me, Mikey Robbins, and my mate Paul Wilson. Hi everybody. Look, we're both still a couple of history tragics, but this season it's not just us doing the heavy lifting. That's right, Mikey. This season we've got special guests picking out their very own heroes. And howlers. <laughs> yeah, we're still on the lookout for those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. And we're still uncovering the cock-ups, those moments of madness that have made the world what it is today. But now we've got backup. And together, we'll be turning history back to front and back again. Hey folks, Paulie here. Having a great time on Season 9. Great having all these new guests on. We're just going to have a break for a couple of weeks. So we're going to go back and hopefully you'll enjoy some of our classic episodes from the past few seasons. And then we'll be back with some new guests to round out the year. G'day folks, so here we are, new episode, and as promised, Mikey's got not just a howler, but a rogue for us, and a Scottish rogue, no less. A very Scottish rogue, mate, Gregor McGregor. <laughs> in fact, he's, he's born in 1786, mm-hmm. and he comes from a very illustrious Scottish military family. Okay. His grandfather, also Gregor McGregor, also known to his mates as Gregor the Beautiful, mm-hmm. he was the founding officer of the Black Watch. The Black Watch, wow. It's, it's, it's gone down in history. In fact, Gregor McGregor, our howler, mm-hmm. Would also claim he was the great grand nephew of Rob Roy. Ooh. Yeah, but probably not. <laughs> okay. So, mate, he follows the family tradition, and in 1807, he goes into the British Army, and between 1807 and 1810, he fights in the, and I'm not particularly familiar with these, the Peninsular Wars. Oh, yeah, the Peninsular Wars on the continent. That's when, um, in the 19th century, the Spanish and the Portuguese were fighting against Napoleon, and for a long time, losing against Napoleon. Now, the Brits weren't supposed to really be involved, but typical 19th century, they got dragged in anyway. Well, anyway, well, he serves with distinction, but then in 1812, he gets a rather dodgy distinction. Charge, ah. And we don't really know what for. But he's not done with fighting. He gets involved in the wars of independence raging through Central and South America. Okay. In fact, he ends up serving under the great El Libertador, Simon Bolivar. Simon Bolivar, wow. And within a year, he, he gets a field commission. He, he rises to the rank of general in the army of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. He gets the new Granada Order of the Libertadores. Ooh. And, mate, here's the icing on the cake. He even marries Simon Bolivar's niece. Right, so he must have been pretty good soldier. Yes, mate. In fact, Venezuela still celebrate a renowned, um, sounds a bit weird, tactical retreat that mm-hmm. he once did. He also captured Porto Bello in the Panama. Right. But that's when things go a bit rogue, mate. Mm. He becomes not so much a fighter for the newly liberated Venezuela. Mm-hmm. He becomes a, a rogue mercenary. Okay. He invades Amelia Island. Just, Amelia Island? Just off the coast of Florida. Okay. Takes right. that from the Spanish. In fact, at one point, it seems he tries to set up his very own Florida Republic. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but before too long, he's back in New Granada, the lands that Simon Bolivar had liberated from the Spanish. And it's at this point, he first gives us a glimpse of his true colours. So is he still signed up for Bolivar at this stage? Well, not really, mate. You see, by now he's getting a bit too big for his boots. He thinks that he should be given his own independent command Mm. outside the usual chains of command. So the arrangement he comes to with Bolivar is that he takes over control of a British volunteer force that has assembled itself. Well, that sounds fair enough. Yeah, mate, but here's the thing. As soon as this force comes under anything approaching heavy fire... Gregor McGregor abandons them. Abandons? That's not really something you want from the guy in charge. So what does Bolivar say? What what do his troops say? Well, that's it, mate. Before Bolivar even has a chance to intervene, McGregor's own troops turn on him. In fact, a guy called Lieutenant Colonel Michael Raffeter 
tells how he was so soon despised that when he did finally turn up, the troops spat at him. Spat at an officer? You get court-martialed for that. Yes, but mate, by this stage in his own head, Gregor McGregor was no longer just an officer. In fact, he was signing off his mail as His Majesty Inca New Granada. His Majesty Inca. <laughs> so now he's well and truly up himself. Yes, mate, but not everyone is buying it. The troops know he's a coward. And the guy I mentioned before, Rafter, he's determined to do something. So next time he's back in England, in 1820, he publishes the memoirs of Gregor McGregor. Right. And I'm going to quote from it directly here. That any person could be induced again to join him in his desperate projects would be to conceive a degree of madness and folly of which human nature, however fallen, is incapable. Ooh, all right, so Rafter's got the measure of him. Yeah, but unfortunately, Rafter's on his own. This sage advice was never actually heeded. All right, so Mikey's brought along his rogue. We've just left 19th century London, but where's McGregor? Well, mate, by the spring of 1820, he's washed up on the piece of coast between Honduras and Nicaragua, known as the Mosquito Coast. Ah, the Mosquito Coast, yes. Actually, it gets its name from indigenous mosquito Mm. Indians, that being said, it was also chock-a-block full of mozzies. <laughs> full of mozzies, yeah. In fact, the only use it had been to uh, Europeans was pirates used to hide out there when they were on the run. Okay. But for Gregor McGregor, it's his eureka moment. Now, he would later claim, and it's a little bit spurious, but anyway, he reckons he got some land titles hmm. from a local dignitary. A local chief, okay. Yeah, mate, even that's still a bit spurious. The guy we're talking about is King George Frederick Augustus I, a British appointee. Now, remember, Paulie, it wasn't just the Spanish out there. The British were in there as well. Well, that's right, and that's what gave birth to British Honduras, which is today Belize, isn't it? Just up from the Mosquito Coast. But how does all that fit in with your man McGregor? Well, mate, he claims by this stage King George Frederick Augustus I has appointed him Kazik of Poye. Kazik, wow, well, that's a title. But uh, what about this place, Poye, Mikey? No offence, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to get a map out, but I've never heard of that. Well, mate, you won't find it on any map ever because it's all in McGregor's mind. Ah. Yes, it's a fictitious title for a fictitious place. But for McGregor, it's his big opportunity. Okay. He heads off back to Blighty and he starts printing out these guidebooks to Poye. Okay. And they talk about the fertile soil, the the forest full of mahogany and cedar trees, Mm. how there are fields of really important crops like indigo, coffee, cotton, sugar and tropical fruits. (laughs) Okay. Mate, he he goes further. He says that gold nuggets can be picked up in the street. What? And the place is full of herds of what he describes as basically morbidly obese cattle. (laughs) Okay. He then extols its glittering capital with mansions and warehouses and a waterfront and that one thing that every great Regency capital had to have... Um, palace? No, mate, an opera house. Uh, opera house, of course. Yes, but a non-existent opera house. And he puts all that in a guidebook. Not just a guidebook, mate. He goes on, he produces pamphlets and brochures where he talks about these magnificent parades by the Knights of the Green Cross. Knights of the Green Cross. Yes, a, a personal bodyguard of Poyan lancers. <laughs> he goes even further. He gets musicians to mm. compose songs mm-hmm. extolling the virtues of Poyer to be performed in theatres all over England. He then gets artists and he gets them to make etchings and engravings showing this tropical utopia. 
So what's he trying to do, mate? He's trying to get tourists out there? No, mate, he's trying to get investors. Ah. He sets up offices in London and Edinburgh and starts selling off parcels of this non-existent paradise by the acre. Oh, we're back in the South Sea Bubble episode. Yes, mate, you think they would have learnt their lesson. But do you remember one thing about the South Sea Bubble episode? Was the idea of royal patronage. Mm. Now, McGregor knows this, so he has a crony of him, a guy called William Richardson, mm. and he sets him up as the ambassador to the British court King George the Fourth Court in London. So he's the Payane ambassador. <laughs> I see. Right, but he's not just finished there. He also gets his Richardson bloke to have a letter published in all the English newspapers addressed to King George himself. <laughs> You're joking. I wish I was, Paulie. In fact, copies from the newspapers still exist. I'll read it to you. We, Gregor, extend the greetings of a brother sovereign to King George the Fourth, and appoint William John Richardson. Commander of the most illustrious order of the Green Cross. <laughs> the Green Cross again. Major in our regiment of house guards to be our charge d'affaires in the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Wow. And George IV, does he reply? Mate, the silence from the palace was deafening. But what about the mug punters he's trying to get to invest in this project? Well, this is where McGregor's actually quite lucky. After him around about this time, there were other recently liberated states in Central and South America. Yeah. And they were raising capital by offering bonds. Ah. In fact, they were offering bonds at twice the interest rate of government bonds. And at a return of 3%, they were proving pretty popular with it. Right. But here's the thing. McGregor starts selling off land certificates mm. for two shillings and threepence an acre, which is ran about the daily wage of an artisan at the time. Hang on. If he's selling land certificate to land that doesn't exist, essentially he's... Mate, you're dead right. I know where you're going. Gregor McGregor invented what we today would call a securities fraud. But it works. Oh, mate, it goes gangbusters, and it does so with people who should have known better. Mm. In 1822, the financial institution... Perringshaw Barber and Company. Mm. Well, they're run by Sir John Perring. Now, he's an ex-mayor of London. He'd been a parliamentarian. Right. And he starts raising a £200,000 worth of loans wow. backed with bond issues, which stockholders can exchange for bonds, which they can exchange for freehold title land in Poyet. Ah, in Poyet. <laughs> in Poyet, yeah. Mate, it's going to come as no surprise to find out that Perring goes bankrupt within three years. <laughs> Yeah, but what about the small investors, Mikey? If they're buying these land titles, do they actually go out there and try and claim them? Sadly, mate, yes. On the 10th of September, 1822, a rust bucket called the Honduras Packet mm -hmm. leaves the Scottish town of Leith. Ah, Scotland, no doubt milking the family name again. Exactly, mate. His name has currency up north. And it's got 70 passengers. Now, they've paid for the land, which doesn't exist. They've mm -hmm. paid for passage. Mm -hmm. And you won't believe what else some of them have paid for. Uniforms. Uniforms? Yeah, some of the younger passengers, he'd told them that they would get jobs in the Poyayan military. Oh. And, of course, he provided the uniforms. Ah. They had to pay him. He even sets up his own bureau de change. Bureau de change? But surely there isn't any such thing as a Poyayan currency. Well, actually, mate, in McGregor's world, there is. And he lets these passengers know that their British money won't be worth anything. So he gives them, on a pretty dodgy exchange rate... Poye and notes. But where's he going to get notes from? Remember, he's well connected. He actually gets them printed by the Scottish Mint. No way. And so back to the rust bucket of a ship, does it get them there? Yes, it does, mate. In November, it turns up at the Black River. The Black River? On the Mosquito Coast? Correct. But of course, that's about the only thing that matches the brochure. First off, there ain't no opera house. So the passengers and the crew set off a signal gun, hoping that a pilot boat will come out and lead them up the river. Except, except there's no pilot. Except there's no pilot <laughs> boat. So eventually they, they get on shore. 
and search parties start heading out into the jungle. And this is where it stops being funny. Mm. There are storms, hunger and disease set in. In fact, later, one young settler would recall, not one was able to assist another out of such a number. And many of those who had newly come from Scotland were well advanced in years and had come to end their days in peace. So he'd swindled and abandoned elderly Scots people. Now, I'm guessing McGregor himself's not on the ship. No doubt he's safely tucked up in bed, counting up all his ill-gotten gains. And some. And well, so what about all these poor passengers? They're left to rot there by themselves. No, not by themselves, mate. Over the next few weeks, another ship arrives and then another. In fact, a total of seven ships set sail. What? By the end of this, 180 people have died. This includes children and the elderly. A few get resettled in the States, but mm. less than 50 make it back to Britain. Oh. In fact, a guy called General Cod, who was the British governor of the Honduras, he spends over a year cleaning up McGregor's mess and, and repatriating the swindled. But how, Mikey? 19th century Britain, surely there must have been some sort of outcry in the press. Oh, yes, mate, there was. The press swooped, but the mud didn't stick. Remember Richardson, the guy mm -hmm. I was talking about before? He actually defends McGregor and sues the newspapers on his behalf. Wow. By 1823, though, it's getting hot, and Gregor McGregor does what every scoundrelous British man does. <laughs> At some stage, he flees to Paris. Right. So now he's learned his lesson. No, mate, he's straight back to his old tricks. What, in France? Yes, mate. By September 1825, he's duped yet another boatload in a setting sail, except this time from La Havre. All right, so with this real stinker of a 19th century Scotsman, he's just swindled the French, which not normally I wouldn't object to, but now he's finally going to get his comeuppance. Yes, mate, but also no. By December 1825, he's finally arrested and thrown in La Force prison. But once in there, he starts a letter-writing campaign where he blames a vast Spanish conspiracy. <laughs> Always blame the Spanish. Always blame the Spanish, mate. <laughs> if you're in trouble. Exactly. He says he's being persecuted because he's the leader of a newly independent Latin state. Ah. And he actually feeds off anti-Spanish sentiment. In France, yes. So much so, mate, that he actually has two trials and is acquitted on both occasions. Ah, so he's one of those typical rogues who's always got a brass neck. Not just the neck, mate. Because after the trial, he goes back to London, where he finds another really venerated financial firm like the last one, except this time it's Thomas Jenkinson Co. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea is he's going to raise £300,000 with a bond issue, which is guaranteed by, and you're going to believe this, gold mines in some place called Paula Loser. <laughs> Paula Loser? Yeah, no, it sounds like a bad rock festival. It, of course, doesn't exist. But, mate, this doesn't stop him opening a new Poyasian office in 23 Threadneedle Street. Threadneedle Street? So bank right in the middle of the square mile. Yeah, mate, he's back raising money again. All right, Mikey, but tell me, this can't last forever. Thankfully, no, mate. And it's not actually the press that does him in. It's not actually the courts. It's a pamphlet, a counter-pamphlet. Right. It is. It starts spreading through London, and it's called Take Care of Your Pockets, Another Poye Humbug. Now, this seems to do the trick, because investors seem to just dwindle on the vine, and he's finally arrested in England. So the long arm of the law finally catches up with him. Catches up with him and then releases him without charge. <laughs> without charge? How could that happen? Well, mate, there's a theory, and I believe this is quite a good theory, that there are a lot of members of the British establishment who would have been deeply embarrassed if McGregor had ever gone to trial and testified. Ah, right. So now he's only got one place to go. He's, he's back to Scotland with his tail between his legs? No, Paul, he actually goes to the only place on earth where his name isn't mud. Which is? Venezuela. Oh, right. You remember his wife is the niece of the great Simon Bolivar. Simon Bolivar. Now, unfortunately, Josepha, his wife, has died in 1838, but he still trades on her family name. 
he settles in Caracas and then he finds an old friend from his old fighting days who by now is the defence minister. So you're not going to believe this, mate. He restores McGregor to his former rank. No way. He gives him back pay. What? Pension. <laughs> and when he dies, he gets a state funeral. <laughs> you're kidding. You'll be telling me you had a statue next. No, Paulie, don't worry. When he dies, everything dies, including the fictional kingdom of Poye. And I'm glad to say, if you ever go to Loch Katrine with the McGregors... Ah, yes, the McGregors' family stronghold. And, mate, they've got a cemetery there where all the great McGregors are buried. If you go there, there's not one mention of our rogue, Gregor McGregor, in all of the family memorials. Good. Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, whichever you prefer. That's right, and always the same handle, at the rest is hist. The rest is hist, and you'll find all that in the show notes. And wherever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on whichever platform you happen to use. It's always good to get your feedback. Yes, keep it all coming, lots of fun. And lots of maps. <laughs> and lots of new guests to look forward to. Paulie, we've got guests galore, each with their very own hero and howler. <laughs>